Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Strength and Conditioning at Northants County Cricket, David Sutton. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 49 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we've got David Sutton on the phone. So a couple of weeks ago I saw David speak at the Performance Forum in Manchester with Darren Roberts and it really changed my perspective on what cricket is. So we discuss all things cricket and all things Northamptonshire in the uh, in this episode with David. So we also discuss internships because he's got a quite, from my um, experience quite a unique perspective on interns and internships. We also discuss demands of the game, specifically looking at fast bowlers. And we also discuss how he deals with such a hectic schedule uh, in, the, uh, in the cricket season. So today, the sponsor for the podcast is again Train With Push, makers of the Push Band. So just to remind you, you can get 10% off if you are a US listener. If you go to trainwithpush.com and put in PaceyPerform10 in the redeem code box and that'll get you 10% off a push band. If you're a UK listener, go to strengthandconditioningeducation.com and in, again in the redeem code box put PaceyPerform10 and that will get you £10 off a push band. So this last week has seen me use the push band to create a bit of a competitive environment in the gym and the group that I'm working with. Just with the instant feedback and the, um, the, the whiteboard, just writing the, uh, the velocities of each lift on the whiteboard creates a great bit of uh, competition. So I definitely, uh, I definitely encourage you to do that when you're, when you're trying out the, uh, the push band. So we're coming up to episode 50 of the Pace Performance podcast um, next week. So I just encourage you, if you are enjoying what you've been hearing over the last 18 months and 50 episodes, and you do listen on iTunes, get over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review and that would be really appreciated. There's also a sign-up box on paceyperformance.co.uk on the right-hand side. Put your email address in there and you can get yourself added to the Pacey Performance mailing list and that will be um, a monthly newsletter going out, going out shortly. You can also follow me on Twitter at PaceyPerform and like me on Facebook at PaceyPerformance and you can check out all previous episodes of the podcast at paceyperformance.co.uk and all links and resources mentioned in this episode at paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash 49. And I will speak to you after the interview with David. Hope you enjoy it. Right, hi guys, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. So today we've got David Sutton, who is the Head of Strength and Conditioning at Northants County Cricket. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Cheers, mate, thank you very much. Glad we could fit into the schedule somehow. Yeah, so, yeah somehow. Um, so do you want to give us a bit of uh, a background on yourself, your education and what you're currently doing? Yeah, so there's a lot of coaches, I guess I'm a bit of a failed athlete, um, although I try my best. Um, this is my 15th sport that I've worked in at the elite or professional level, which I guess means that I've been sacked from 14 sports. <laughs> but um, 
you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to have a very varied background. Um, started off in um, my undergrad dissertation was supported by middle football club a bit. That was kind of an insight into you know, where sports science was going. And then from that point, you know, as a lot of guys, I guess I started off working in the gym because I wanted to, you know, train people, but there wasn't really a route to that. Uh, I was a founder member of the UKCA in 2004. Congratulations. Uh, well, the, you know, back then there was 40 people at the first conference, and now there's 500 plus in, in a decade, which is, which is just insane. And there wasn't really any internships or advertised routes into you know, fitness coaching, S&C, sports science, and you just had to kind of find your own way. My, my first GB job was uh, with the windsurfing, with the Worlds in 04 as part of that, um, and then just trying to you know, create opportunities ever since. And, you know, I've, I've been very lucky to have some, some great experience in motorsport um, and you know, a few different Olympic sports and, and pro athletes and involved quite a bit in some complex rehabs as well. And just a very, very wide you know, version of a sport that's taken me around the world. So it's, I've been very lucky, but it's, it's, it's not been by design, it's by, you know, just trying to continue to develop myself and you know, develop my experiences. Mm-hmm. So what's your rolling tail at the cricket? So there's, there's almost two separate jobs. During the winter, you know, we have a five-month block where we can really prepare the players properly. Um, although that's made more complex because some of the guys will be abroad for part or some of the winter. Um, so then it's just kind of creating a, a, a proper strength and conditioning program leading up into the season where you get some good time to develop some physical qualities and individualise your approach as much as possible. And then in the summer, you know, our, the cricket schedule is, you know, this is horrendous. You know, we, can, we just come off the back of our busiest block where we played 17 days in 21. And we had two more days of travel on top of that. And so I, I travel predominantly with the first team. Um, I stay back occasionally if I need to work on bringing a guy through. But then every day is management of players through the games, through the workload, and just reacting to situations. You've got no idea how much volume each player is going to play during each day. And you're just having to manage that as, as, as much as possible. So it's about finding windows and opportunities to maintain and develop where you can, minimise injuries, minimise fatigue, um, although, you know, except that fatigue occurs and you just try and, you know, do your best you can for each player um, and then fitting obviously into that with the with the team's plan. And then, you know, in, in professional sports, in every sport, I think you, you're always hands-on just helping out to whether it's carrying bags or helping the skills coaches or putting down some additional warm-ups or just, just spending time with players and, and coaches and learning what's going on and, you know, trying to find little opportunities to improve and to get better. Cool. So it's a very, it's a very, very mixed role. There's, there's, there's a clear winter, traditional S&C, prepare, develop, and then there's the summer, which is just hold on. <laughs> So do you want to give us a bit of an overview? I mean, I know you presented a, a little bit of this um, a couple of weeks ago at Manchester, just the, the demands of, of cricket players, because, I mean, this is going out to people all over the world. And, I mean, the, uh, American people, listeners might not, might not even know what, what cricket is. Do you just want to give us a little bit of an overview of the demands that a player would go through um, kind of in season? Yeah, so our, 
our fast bowlers are the, the number one challenge that we have to manage. Uh, you know, in a four day, because we have, we have three games, different types of games that we'll be playing. So we'll play four day cricket, which is two innings each, and that can last the four full days. That's six hours on your feet per day. Uh, we have the one day cricket, which is six, six and a half hours long, get the whole match done. And then we've got the T20s, the, uh, which are flat out played over three hours. Uh, and we can, you know, they're, they're really high intensity, intensity games. But for the fast bowlers, you know, their, their delivery stride when they hit the ground just before they release the ball, they're hitting about eight times body weight. They'll deliver six balls and they're over. And they might bowl, you know, 20, 25 overs in a four-day game. Then they might then go straight into a one-day game where they then do another ten overs. Um, so that's what we have to spend a lot of time looking at: is their workload and their resilience to the demands of that. Um, you know, in a T20 game, they're going to probably do our bowlers are going to do thirty high-speed sprints a game. Um, they're going to cover a lot more mileage than people think. Um, and then the batsmen, it just depends on. Yeah, everyone's fielding as well. I think that's the challenge is that in the field now in cricket, you have to be strong and you have to be quick and you have to be technically good. And so then everyone's got to be robust enough to field hard for up to six hours a day um, and to execute their skills repeatedly. Um, it's kind of like as well, if you just spend a lot of time on your feet, you know, that, that's just wear and tear anyway. That is fatiguing if you go shopping with with your mum or something you know you're pretty tired by the end of it and if you just throw in a load of high-speed sprints throughout the day and some diving then you're pretty tired this is the volume of cricket we play and you know getting up the next day and doing the same thing with the batsmen you know it depends on their volume you know they may get out second ball and that might be them for the rest of the day and they might just then do nothing at all which means this opportunity to fit some training in around the games because we'll often do strength work or stability work or whatever we need to get done during the game uh but then if they've had a high workload the last few weeks then we might just back them off and do, do some recovery work so it just depends each individual what they need and what they're doing, you know, uh, you know, sometimes we've had guys that have batted for four hours, five hours, you know, that's a lot of concentration and mental fatigue as well as the the, the time on their feet. Mm-hmm. So you're when the, if the guy gets out second ball, you're using the the facilities of the opposing team, so you're using the gym and things like that. Yeah, if you if you're on the road, most teams are pretty good at sharing facilities. You know, potentially you can be on the road for seven or eight days, so. You know, if if, if you know, they get out second ball and then you give them normally a little bit of time to calm down and you know, I've got a great group of guys that normally they'll come and find me. And I say, look, I'm, I'm ready to do some work now. And it might be say, well, actually, the last few games you haven't got many runs, so let's work with the, the one of the coaches and we'll do some batting work, but we'll also do some conditioning work at the same time and build it in around that. It might be that actually that's an opportunity to get a good strength session in. Um, we try and get strength session done once every seven or eight days if we can that's, that's quite challenging at times so how does that obviously it's so much different in the off season because you got obviously no games you got people here then everywhere whether it's England or you know going over the world how do you manage that with your players how much so got, do you have so I, I've you know, fully fully able to control their schedule especially if they're back with us you know we'll normally do 
hard day Monday and Tuesday, off feet recovery day Wednesday, then build up the intensity Thursday, Friday again, and then give them the weekend off. That way we feel that we get two periods of adaptation. You know, that, and it's important because the season's so demanding and they spend so much time you know, together, you know, 17, 18 days straight sometimes. So giving them a couple of days to spend time with their friends and family, I think, is, is, is valuable as well. Um, so we, yeah, we'll, we'll do normally four strength sessions in, in the four days and just a varied conditioning program depending on what each individual needs and what we think is going to be the, the most effective way to manage them. Uh, before Christmas, we is 90% physical and any skill work is built around physical. And then as we go January, February, start bringing all the skills and the, the, um, the cricket-specific work in and you kind of blend in around that. Uh, and then get a pre-season, hopefully a pre-season tour in, in early March where we can get on our feet and play. There's nothing that in the training the gym can replicate six hours of fielding on your feet. Um, so it's good to get, get away and do that. So what might a strength session look like in the uh, in the off-season period for you? And so it is. I mean, people say, oh, what's your fast bowler program to me? And I've got guys at 5'7", five, 5'8", five, hyper-mobile, that ball, ball at 85 miles an hour. And I've got guys that are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know, 9,500 kilos that are doing the same job. And it's about, you know, understanding the demands of the skill that they're applying and the physical demands of that, but then recognising where their own physical attributes are. And if you just said, look, I've got this guy and I'm preparing him for this job, you'd do it one way. And then if you've got this, a different guy in the same job, you could do it a different way. And it's, it's important to kind of not get too specific on the actual needs, but it's more their individual needs. So what's the process you go through to identify what their needs are? So we have a good screening program with the medical guys and they'll highlight some areas that you know, need to be worked on um, and then talking to the coaches, talking to the players is important to understand you know, where, where they broke down or where they felt they were lacking power or lacking strength or robustness you know. and then we can then you, you get the guy in front of you and I think that's the best thing is not to cloud your judgement too much too early and say okay you know would you look like bilaterally they're really strong but single leg they're, they're not so strong so I'm, I'm going to emphasize one area specifically you know if they're globally weak we're just gonna you know in the time that we've got which is still seven eight week block okay how can I be smart enough to get the most out of, of this player and you know prepare them you know, most effectively but each individual is going to adapt differently and I think that's a critical thing even with the team setting it takes more work it takes a lot more work but to individualise the demands um, for each player is critical, and we we do we do we have a number of battery of testings. We look at you know, anaerobic uh, total capacity. We look at speed. We look at power. Uh, we look at endurance through um, yo-yo, and then it's about kind of building up a whole picture of the player and saying, okay, right, this is where we think we're going to go, and, and go with it. So does every county, from a governing body point of view, every county has to have an S&C coach? Yeah, every team has one, some have two. We're fortunate that we've got a guy that's my assistant who's mostly responsible for our academy guys because our academy guys are spread out across the UK. They're not you know, within a small catchment area. And then he fits in and picks up 
you know work especially in the winter that, that I need help with but the, the, the big thing is that we're trying to, as a small club to develop the players that we got within our system um, and bring them through that's a more effective way of doing things uh, financially better way of doing things so him managing that side uh, and then I've got two great interns this year that you know have done that add a lot to our program and, and do some really really great work for us and that that helps as well so you mentioned interns there I know you've got a very uh strong view on the the intern internship uh, saga do you just want to give us your opinion on the whole um the whole situation I think, I think the first thing to recognize is this there's, there's a few industries um sport being one of them where experience is critical. I think also if you want to work in the media and TV, it's a very similar thing. And if you want to work in some areas of, of, of marketing and business, you need experience from that as well. And there's a lot of people graduating with degrees and masters that are all after the same thing. When I started out, I did a sports degree. And then I became aware of this more applied side and you know, the whole strength and conditioning and applied sports science side. But there was no route. So the thing I did was I knocked on the door everywhere that I could because I just wanted to get more experience. And if a team, even if it's an amateur team, said, oh, yeah, can you do you know an hour's work with us on an evening, then I was going to take an opportunity for just to develop my skills. So I, at this point, I wasn't looking for a job because I recognised that the people that were doing the jobs had so much more knowledge than me. It's more that I, you know, I wanted to become a better coach. And the only way I was going to get a, become a better coach was to get more experience. Um, our interns um, mostly are master's students, which works quite well for us because they run kind of October to September, which fits well with our winter period. They do quite a bit of work with us then. We're flexible in that we recognise that there are academic demands that sometimes peak, so therefore we need to give some, some flexibility. But what we do do is spend a lot of time giving them their own projects, developing them. Um, we'll only take on people that we believe are going to add to our programme. So if someone does something very similar to me, there's, there's no need for it, you know, because they're just replicating what I'm doing. What we want is people to have original thoughts and to come in and have some ideas and you know, my interns have either gone on to get very good into this year they've either gone on to get down to the last two or three in interviews and then they're almost there and there's 100, 150 people going for these jobs or they've actually got the job and that wouldn't have occurred if they hadn't developed their skills uh, I also think that young strength and conditioning coaches need to recognise that no one owes them anything and you know, if you're working full time in professional elite sport, you're ridiculously busy. You know, Rob, I know how hard it is for you to track some people down sometimes. <laughs> yeah, just to get a slot in the in the diary. So you've got to recognise that there's this there's a lot of people out there that are willing to give up their time to help you because they've done it before themselves. They've gone through that process, but you need to strive to develop yourself as a coach first, so that you become better than everybody else. You know, one of the things we say to our interns is, you know, be so good they can't ignore you. Yeah, and and that's, that's how hard you have to work in order to do it. And it's no different to other industries as well. You, you've, got to, you've got to develop yourself beyond everyone else because there's a finite amount of positions. Um, 
so we don't pay our interns, but we do offer a, a big experience, and we, we, we take them on CPD, and we develop them through a number of projects, and, you know, they've got access to our, our team, and, you know, our players, and the players help develop them, and toughen them up a little bit, and, you know, I, I, I spend time every year, you know, with my interns, just talking about stuff, or saying, oh, is there someone else you'd like to meet? Okay, let's, let me introduce you to that person, and that, that's, that's invaluable. You can't, you can't get that, but at the same time, I I expect them to work very hard. And a lot of the time, I'll have an idea and go, "Look, this is actually really interesting. I wonder whether we should look at this. Can you just go and play with this for me and find out?" And sometimes it it pays off, and it's a great idea. And other times, they go, "Actually, do you know what? It's not going to work for these reasons." And that's great. That's adding value then to my work, and that's what it's all about. I'm trying to get the team as good as possible. If they can add value to my work, then you know, you know that we've we've done a good job, really. Um, so yeah, and I have an intern dinner at the end of the winter when they've, you know, and there's the other thing as well. You know, my interns are, you know, they're in at six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning with me. You know, it's just you're going to be pretty motivated to start like that. Um, I have an intern dinner at the end of the year, and uh, we kind of talk about what we've learned from a year, and it's it's amazing how much they. They, they talk about that they never would have even conceived knowing or understanding and that's quite, quite an enjoyable enjoyable evening mm. so so what are you seeing how are you seeing things differ as time's gone on with interns as they come out of university are you seeing kind of trends that they come out you know focusing on one aspect of the of the job or lacking in one certain area what are you seeing any trends so we are we had we had one of our roles, the assistant role, we had 200 applicants in four weeks or something. It was absolutely insane. And 100 of those had masters. So, okay, so, you, you know, so what's going to be the differentiating factor that's going to help you get through? And the biggest thing was the, the lack of experience and the lack of variety of experience. And when we interviewed them, they... The ones that we did interview, we interviewed 10, and the ones that we interviewed, the, the biggest thing that was lacking was that they didn't have original thought. That they had, the other, oh yeah, at this club we did this. Okay, that's great, what would you do? And it's, it's that the more practice you get, whether you're going and working with a hockey team, and then you're working with an 800 meter runner, and then you're working with you know, some, some random sport, you know, and then, you know, underwater hockey or lacrosse or something that's a bit more <laughs> Sounds a bit like more a good niche. game, that. But, yeah. <laughs> but then you, 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 you're just having to challenge yourself in different ways. You know, when I got into superbikes and most GP, I didn't have a clue. You know, same with, same with the windsurfing. But I worked hard to listen to what they had to say. And, you know, little bits and pieces that I've learned from that sport, I can take to an, another sport. So the, t- the two things are just a variety of experience because... In professional sport, you haven't got time to make the wrong decision very much. Occasionally, you get it wrong, and then you have to react pretty quickly. But most of the time, you have to be on it all the time so that you're minimizing any sort of leakage of performance or risk. You know, it's the same as if you have a, a truck firm. You know, if, if you've got three of your trucks that are off the road and you haven't got any money to buy any other trucks, then you've got to maximise and get those trucks back on the road. But in the meantime, your other trucks are doing quite a lot more work than they need to be because these ones are off the road. It's the same as your players. You can't have a resource that's off the, off the field. So 
the interns that are coming through and the strength and conditioning coaches that are coming through have to be able to draw upon a number of different experiences to problem solve as fast as they can and as smoothly as they can and minimise the risk of getting it wrong. I'm just going to quickly get rid of you on the video if you don't mind. It's nothing personal, um, just so I can keep the so I can keep the signal. <laughs> right, that's better. So perceptions, people's perceptions of cricket is that it's it's kind of an easy game. Um, it's played by old men, and you stop when it rains. How's how's your perception change coming into professional cricket from kind of from an outsider? That's a great question. I think, um, and we've talked a little bit about how yeah your perception has changed just in the time that you've you've heard me talk about yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely. I think the biggest the biggest thing that was a surprise to me was one how skillful they actually are because it is still a high skill sport and you see that. And then some of the stuff they do in fielding drills and in games is just it's just unbelievable. But then the other thing is that actually how demanding and fatiguing it is, not only from a physical point of view, but from a mental point of view because of the repeated nature of it, because of the volume of the of the playing. You know, we're we're not prepare six days, play one or you know, you know, worst case in football, you may be playing two games in eight days or something. You know, we're playing seven days in eight days. And therefore, it's the demands of the sport are increasing. The guys hit the ball harder. They run faster. They field harder. They are more creative in how they play the game. There's still a level of transition in that some of the older players have got away with it from their skill level to some extent, or they've uh, they've come into the more physical physical preparation periods, you know, later on in their career, and that's fine. That's just you know, that's just the transition of any, of any sport. But I think it's that that now it's just the back to back repeated execution of high intensity skills uh, for such extended periods of time, and how sore and tired they actually are. Um, and it's made me think actually there's because when I first came I thought wow that's an opportunity to do some training that's an opportunity to do some training and sometimes it is but most of the time actually it's like well what's the best that we can get out of here and is that going to be a viable option based on their mental fatigue and their physical state Mm -hmm. so do you have someone in the camp who kind of specialises in the mental side of things so we have have a sports psychologist on staff Um, he's not full-time but he's with us as much as we need to and he's very good and then we have a clinical psychologist as well that visits Um, and because cricket is such a numbers game you know the stats are so heavy and therefore your performance is assessed continually every single day and you're often compared to other people Uh, and often the players are on one or two year contracts so you know, potentially you can get to two months into the season and you're potentially out of a drop in 12 weeks. <laughs> and that's, that's the reality of professional sport that you know, you know, there's a lot of pressure on your career. So you have to be optimising what you're doing, but also we're all humans. And if anyone else is put in that situation, you know, when you feel more pressure, then do you necessarily perform as well? So there's, there's obviously a clear split within your group. Um, 
batters and bowlers. How are you? How are you managing individuals, but individuals in a small group, and then the groups within a bigger team? So, so in any squad, and I think this is true of an individual sport or a team sport, you've got. And it doesn't matter about the ages, really. But you know, I use cricket as an example. But you've got you got your young guys coming in. Either they come from an academy setup or development setup, and it's their first year or their second year on the squad. And then you've got your old guys that you know they're on their last year, or maybe they'll get one more year after this point. And then you've got your guys that are in the squad because they work harder than anyone else, and they've actually exceeded their talent just by working hard and, and grafting. And then you've got always got one or two kind of linchpins in your squad. Sometimes they're a bit maverick, but they'll they can pull the whole dressing room up or down. They can pull the whole squad up or down. They their behaviour can change quite a bit. So the mistake I think sometimes is made is that people put the young guys with the old guys because there's a scene well that these guys have had a long career, whether it's swimming and they're 24, 25, or whether it's cricket and they're 34 it doesn't really matter, is that they put the young guys with the old guys and say, right, you can learn from these guys, you can you know, look how they've done. But the trajectory that the older guys have taken is completely different to what the young guys now will take. They'll, they'll be on a completely different path because things just evolve. And also, no matter what they're saying publicly, the older guys have always got one eye kind of on the future of you know, what happens next. So I think the critical thing is to get the young guys with the hard workers, with the grafters, and teach them about how to maximise their talent by, you know, showing up every day and being as professional as possible. And then, from a man management point of view, you don't worry about the old guys too much. They they know what to do because they've been successful before you got there, and they you know they they found a way to already know know how to stay in the game or the sport. So if you focus your man management on the the one or two linchpins, and then you you know, just ensure that the young guys are working hard, then, you know, you're going to cover most of the bases. So how are you, from a, obviously in a, in a management role as a, as a head role, how are you, how do you fit into the overall kind of management structure? So well, we're pretty good, actually. We've got a quite tight-knit um, support staff. We've got three coaches, um, uh, head of sports science, medicine, um, head physio and then we just got guys that come and support second team physio um chiro psych uh, psychiatrist uh, and then we just bring people in and out you know my assistant the interns and then we bring just people in and out as, as we need so our overall top management group is pretty tight and in the winter we spend a lot of time together kind of trying to evolve it into what we want it to be um, and we're pretty good at working together and I think with a small squad you have to to do that that we don't really tend to work in silos often I'll be helping out a fielding coach during a drill or they might be helping me out as part of the warm-up you know it's just all all hands on deck as much as possible and then that way you get to understand what, what each other does and what's the best way to, to manage it and then in the season it's just about trying not to get caught out and you know so hopefully there's not too many catastrophes and then you know if someone does get injured or someone isn't going well then there's a clear consensus of, of what the plan's going to be moving forward so you're obviously collecting data on these guys through, through the through the um in season how are you relaying that data back to coaches 
and how much input can you have with regards to, okay, this guy's done too much or he's not doing enough? How is that taken from your technical staff? It depends how much they want them to play. Okay, um, yeah, of course. That I think that the biggest thing is that when I start, if I go one step back from that and we go look at some of the winter training, when I joined the club, there was a perception and perhaps a bit of reality that there was a lot of data collected in the winter, but it wasn't used very quickly. And a lot of it just wasn't used at all. And the players felt that, you know, they were in for a long time and not doing very much work. So one of the things that we tried to to do was any monitoring data that we had on the players, any testing data on the players, if we couldn't use it effectively in 20 minutes to inform how you'd go into the next training session or the next skill session, or it would inform practice over the next couple of weeks, then we weren't interested. You know, I think it's the data has to be used. And then the other thing is that in the summer and the winter, what data we you do collect has to start a conversation and if you can start the right conversation with the right data then you know you're going to create awareness and understanding and a more informed decision whether that's a a playing selection or it's a return to play or or whatever it happens to be and then the other the other important thing with the data is you have to understand who you're explaining the data to if you've got a coach, a technical coach, and you know, I'm not being specific here on a sport, but if you've got a technical coach that's become a professional athlete or an elite athlete at 15, 16, 17 years old, and they've lasted 15 years, well, their academic level is probably still that of a 15, 16-year-old, and they've just picked up bits and pieces along the way. So you've got to think about how you're going to explain the data to them versus someone that's spent the last five or six years in education. I think also with the players... Players need to, athletes need to have the data explained to them, you know, in in the right way. Some of the guys are, are not number based at all; they're very visual. So you've got to make it as simple and as visual as possible. And I know the guys, you know, they understand the numbers and they're actually really intrigued by the the data. And so therefore, you explain it in a different way. So it's about looking at the right information and not getting too complicated, what's going to be your biggest bang for buck? Okay, this is the data that we're backing. It's going to be the right thing for our squad at this time because of these reasons. Then this is how we're going to use it. Okay, and then this is how we're going to communicate it. So what got binned, Dave, if you don't mind me asking? Did anything specific get binned because it just wasn't producing the... Generally, we had an honours board and some of the tests on the board the guys that were very near the top or at the top of the honours board that year all got released out of their contracts. So, yes, they had some good physical numbers, but they weren't necessarily impacted on performance or you know, there, was a, there wasn't a direct correlation between performance and physical. And that with cricket, because it's a high-skill sport, there's not going to be a direct correlation. It's like sprint cycling, but it is going to be... Um, there is going to be some carryover and the more that we can, we can control that and make sure that we're getting the right information. So, you know, do we want our guys to be quick? Yes. Do we want our acceleration to be good? Yes. But do we want them to be robust enough that they can do it for six hours? Well, there's there's two very challenging factors, isn't there? You know, one's pure speed and the other one's, you know, body robustness, whether that's the tissue quality or tendon quality or anything else in between. So... It's about 
choosing the right test for the right people and then using the data effectively. So just going uh, back to comment, sorry, we're going to say something. So, well, I was just going to say on our return to play protocol, I think that was what, if, if you want a good example of how we, and it's still an evolving project, don't get me wrong, we still don't get it right all the time and we're still thinking of better ways to do it. But with our return to play, and this is more longer term stuff, you know, rather than a three, three week or 10 day injury, you know, you, you, you're pretty much going to just pick up as soon as you can. But if you've got, say, three months or four months out, and you need to get this player back. Then what I did was I went to the coaches first and said, you know, look, if it's a hand injury, what sort of fielding drills do you want them to see with tennis balls, with, you know, in between balls, with cricket balls? Okay, with this player, this is the position they're most likely to field. What sort of drills they're going to go through? What's the volume of that? So, because coaches have been returning athletes to play for years, it's just that they've got some, some other people involved in it now. So it's like, well, okay, what, do you, what, what is good enough that then you think, do you know what, that player's ready to go back into the second team, ready to go back in the first team. You know, what, what's important? Okay, if they're batting, if they're bowling, if they're, you know, what, what do you want them to see? How much volume do you want them to do of each exercise? Okay, brilliant. I've got that criteria. Then I know what my physical markers are going to be from a conditioning point of view, from a strength point of view, and so on. And then the physios will clearly have their own criteria of return to play but if you put that all in one big list and you have a yes no next to everything then actually you might have two of the strength and conditioning boxes ticked off three of the physio boxes ticked off two of the coaching fielding drills and one of the coaching batting drills done so far and the player can look at that the athlete so the athlete can look at it the coach can look at that and everyone else can look at it and go actually this is where i'm at i need to do this physically i need to do this fielding and i need to do this you know still with the physio and that way, everyone's effectively working on the same program at the same criteria, and you can bring all these qualities on simultaneously. But the, the critical factor is it's determined and led by the skills work first, so then they see the value in it. Mm -hmm. Right, very good. So just going back onto what I was going to say before about your, your fast bowlers, and obviously them being the hardest to manage. Yep. How, are, how are you actually managing them? So we uh, this year we've um, got a step further, and we've we've got a if match overs. You know how much volume they're doing is is easy because it's the the data is available straight away from our analyst. But the the trick the tricky one to nail down is the practice overs, especially when they're playing second team or you're in the gym and they're doing some additional work with the skills coach. So we created an app where they could very quickly fill in how much workload they've done that day and that all goes into a database and then we can then take from that and create a very simple effective graph that shows each player's workload over the last 24 hours 48 hours seven days rolling 10 days rolling three weeks and we've got criteria for each of those stages that what what is considered based partly on the the research of which there is now quite a good volume that if this player bowls this many more their in rate rate of injury risk increases so then we can say to the coaches actually if you play this player in this game and the next game this is the impact on their numbers and this might you know increase the risk and and, and so on and also you, the other, the other risk is actually undercooking the bowlers 
if for whatever reason they haven't been selected or they haven't been playing very much, if they're undercooked, then that risk of injury becomes quite high because their workload suddenly spikes during a game and then they're not, not prepared for it. So it's kind of trying to keep them you know, pretty much Goldilocks, you know, not too hot, not too cold, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in the middle. And yeah. the closer you can keep them to that, the better. So that's the first thing. And then when they do have the opportunities to, to get work done, you can you can base it on that data. Uh, but again, it's just using, okay, this is the data. It's really important. This is the reason why. This is how we're going to use it. And how how receptive uh say your best fast bowler uh-huh. and he's he's in the kind of red zone for injuries um you've got a big semi-final coming up like you have how receptive are coaches to what you're saying or are they just he's our best guy get out of the way he's playing oh no definitely it's, there's a definite recognition that we need to look after our resource and we'll take it into consideration and Sometimes when you you because that's you know that's professional sports. Sometimes you're always slightly on the edge, and that's where you need to be. You, know, you need to be pushing as hard as possible without you know quite going over the edge. And sometimes they'll say, "Okay, yeah, we'll take that on board," but actually, you know, we, we need to play them in this game for this reasons. But then afterwards, we'll make sure that their workload comes down, or we will. Um, Oh, okay. We'll recognise that, and we'll rotate the, the players as, as required. Um, and you know, I don't think you ever get ideal in professional sport. You don't get you know, in any sport. You know, I've been in some other sports as well where I've just thought, you know, wow, this that was so challenging, and you know, we either we got away with it or that you know, that was so high risk, and actually it didn't didn't pay off in the end. And you're always, you know, you're always pushing as hard as you can because everyone else is pushing as hard as you can. But it's just the, the critical thing, I think, is that you've got to have a wagon because at least then you can get back on it. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, if you haven't got the wagon, then you know, you've got no hope at all. You're just guessing. So I think that as long as you've got a system in place and you're trying to improve your system as much as possible, then you've got a much better chance than if you haven't got any system. Mm-hmm. Cool. Just one last thing before I. Uh... Before I let you go, uh, interns, is there a reason why you don't pay them? Is that, is that just budget or is that, for, is that on purpose? Well, I'm not sure what we'd be paying them for because the, you know, their skill level isn't at a level where they're going to be you know, suitable for, for being paid in the role that they're doing. Um, you know, I, I try and squeeze as much as I can out of what we do is from a development point of view. But they're not in a it's, – it's just experience. And if you, if you took the word internship out of it and you went back seven or eight years, and this is what coaches were doing. It was just work experience. You know, and I, I'm still fortunate that, you know, opportunities come up where I, I get to work with the old athlete here and now. You know, as I was speaking to you earlier, I had a little bit of a look at a, an athlete this morning um, from another sport and you know I didn't get paid anything at all for that but there was an opportunity to help someone that you know has the potential to be very very good and they haven't got a great budget at the moment and to be honest you know I, I'm happy to do it anyway because it's just it's just testing my skills and making me think about things in a different way so you know the, 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 some of the best coaches 
are continuing to do voluntary work just because they want to continue developing themselves as a as a as a coach. Interesting. So, last but not least, where can people keep in touch with what you've got going on? Social media, website. So yeah, so I, I guess Twitter is the, the the main thing for me. me. Mine's at David C Sutton. Uh, I, I try and you know, use Twitter as filtered Google because there's some pretty smart guys out there, smarter than me, that are you know, posting some very useful information, and that allows me to kind of you know, delve into some of the areas that I might be needing to be looking into. Uh, and then I try and be as helpful as possible, whether it's from a networking point of view or it's a introducing people point of view. You know, I'll probably send five emails a week where I've introduced one person to another person, just so it's helping them, you know, developing their career and in, in coaching. Cool. So who are you go to guys on Twitter? Oh, so many, so many. You obviously. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, don't great, lie to me, Dave. Don't lie great, to me. Great content. Um, <laughs> it's great to see a podcast is so varied, and also you know how much work you're putting into it, and the people that you're getting. Um, I think everyone needs to have some people in their network that they can go to for a brutally honest conversation. For me, uh, John Noonan's probably up there. Uh, he, him, and I will talk quite often. Um, and sometimes you need that that's just to say someone hey, look you know i don't think you're on the right track here and this is my reasons why and you know that, that's okay because sometimes you're not going to get it right uh who else joe club for sure spent some time down at brighton a few months ago and she's doing she's doing great work um suki hobson's another another girl that's doing some very good work now with the milwaukee bucks and she's always worth worth talking to about especially some of the rehab return to play stuff she's she's excellent um i think these these are you know i could go on i'll probably i'll probably do a tweet with some some extra names to add i think that's what i'll do but um i think that's a definite kind of coaches you should follow or something but it's more about okay what are your interests okay who's creating information about that all right okay follow them you know be conscious with your following and follow up with what they're delivering and, and make sure you you have a look, a little look around the areas that you're interested in and what other people are doing and be willing to think that actually they might be doing a better job than you or sometimes they're just doing a job that consolidates why you're doing something. Um, I think the other thing as well is getting around and just visiting people. Um, uh, we love having people come up here and have a look at how we do things and people are always welcome. And then, you know, I try and get around and, and just visit other people. You know, and again, that's the thing that you're taking time out of your own schedule to. You don't have to do it, but it's work experience, Dave. Yeah, work it, experience. Is, it is work experience because I'm going to go and, you know, suddenly I'm I'm in a gym in another sport, and their coach goes, "Do you mind spot, spotting that athlete? You know, or can you just grab those bags? Or you know, I'll go and help someone pick up some cones because that's part of it, you know. But you're having that conversation at the same time, and you, you, you're talking about sport. Mm-hmm. I think that's valuable getting out and about. Um, like, I mean, like I'm sure you've done a million times and I've tried to do my best. Sometimes you get thrown under a bus by a bald guy that lives in Manchester, but um, that's just how it goes, isn't it? Yeah. It's not mentioning name, Darren Roberts. No, no, no definitely <laughs> yeah. not. Uh, well, cool. Um, 45 minutes now, so I'll uh, I'll let you go. But thanks for, um, thanks for fitting me into your extremely busy schedule. And this will this will go out after after the game, but um, 
good luck next week. Thank you very much. I think it's uh, to be going to uh, finals day twice in three years is, is really exciting, especially the, the squad size that we've got. And uh, hopefully we can do it again and bring another trophy home. Absolutely. Well, good luck with that and um, we'll keep in touch. Brilliant. I appreciate it, Tom. Thank okay, mate. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 49 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Don't forget that all links and the discount code for the push band are over at paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash 49. You can also check out all previous episodes of the podcast at paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash podcast. Really look forward to bringing you episode 50 next week. So keep tuned and thanks for listening.